As always, I'm your host, Emma, and I know you're going to probably hear the AC today. I'm working on it. it it's, it's been a day. The AC was fine. It wasn't on all morning. Then I was like, oh, I'm going to record, and for the past, like, three hours. And it just, it'll stop. But then it'll go for, like, a couple more minutes. Like, I don't know. I just can't. And <laughs> I cannot bring myself to sit on the floor of my closet. Because my poor joints. I have the joints of like an 80-year-old in a 21-year-old's body. You're going to learn that about me. But today we're going to do something a little bit different. Today we're going to be talking about a painting. I know I'm not the art person, but I'm a historical and philosophy type of person. So we are talking about Raphael's most famous painting, School of Athens, which depicts a bunch of different Western thinkers, theologians, philosophers, mathematicians, and so many others. And we're going to see who's in it, what do they do, and kind of talk about the painting a little bit because it's one of my favorite paintings. And I'm not an art history person. I probably should have tried to find someone to come on and talk about like all this stuff and how like the geometry and the lines and the shadows and everything and I don't know that stuff. I just talk about the people in it and my version of art is if it looks good, it's good. And if it's modern art, I automatically hate it. But this painting was painted anywhere between 1508 and 1511. It's a fresco. Look at me throwing out those vocabulary words at you. And it was commissioned by Pope Julius II for his private apartment in the Vatican and is Raphael's most famous painting. So you might be wondering, who the hell is in this thing? Well, that's a great question. No one is directly labeled in the painting. And I, this is the type of moment I wish I did YouTube videos um, because I think it'd be so much easier to like, be able to point and have the visual of the painting, but I do not. And it's impossible to give you the visual of the painting when this is an audio only podcast. Otherwise, maybe in the future, I'll make a, a YouTube. We'll see. <laughs> But no one is directly labeled in this painting. We're supposed to know who everyone is based on how they are portrayed and our visual depictions of them. The only people that are indirectly labeled is Plato and Aristotle because both of them are holding books that are their books. It's quite interesting. This painting is so famous. But finding information that's not like a basic when it was, where is it, how can you find it, was very hard so doing research onto who is who and so, some i knew instantly like our man diogenes you know him when when you look at that painting you know who he is so let's actually start with the two statues in the back you have athena and across from her is apollo and athena is the greek goddess and she is athens protectress so that makes sense the school of athens would have athena in it and she is the goddess of war, practical reason, and handicraft, along with a lot of other things. You'll notice that like Greek gods had a lot of things that they were the um, patron of. I guess they could kind of like pick and choose what they were feeling that day, what they wanted to promote or not. Now on the other side, we have Apollo, who is another Greek god, and he's pretty much the patron of everything. Here's just a couple, a couple of the ones that he is the patron of. Music, poetry, art, prophecy, truth, archery, plague, healing, sun, and light. 
He is most known for being the sun god, but actually he is not. That is Helios. But because Apollo is always depicted as having the sun with him, around him, and because of his essence of youth and beauty and the source of life and healing, and he is said and described as being as bright and powerful as the sun itself. And so that's how he got that allusion to the sun and why people think he's the sun god but not is helios and helios is the one that has the chariot that brings the sun across the sky in the morning to raise it and apollo is arguably the most loved of the god and of the gods and i love apollo he's probably one of my favorites and not because my friend kaylee has created an amazing version of him in a story right it's i absolutely love apollo and even like in the iliad when he's like kind of like the villain just like causing war and plague i was like my man apollo is getting a bad rap like that is not him that's not the apollo i know love my man apollo so in the center of course who your eyes directly go to is plato and aristotle plato is dressed in purple and red and he's pointing upwards towards the sky the purple and red clothing is said to represent the colors of fire and air most specifically the sky and him pointing at the sky is supposed to indicate that he believes in the theoretical elements of life and school of philosophy which contradicts his pupil aristotle who is wearing green and blue representing earth and water and he is holding his hand out with his palm facing downward towards the ground and that signals that he is more in touch with the physical world and the physical side of philosophy and life so it kind of shows the two of them and how they really differ because even though Aristotle was Plato's student and they did have some things that they agreed on, many things they did not agree on. And whether it is the theoretical side or the physical side of philosophy and wherever you were believing in or what your belief system is based on, those are primarily the two pillars that all of Western philosophy is based on. And I've heard people argue that even Eastern philosophy is still very the physical versus the theoretical. But when researching, I could not find like two people that were like the parallels of, of Aristotle and Plato. I want to look more into that because I don't know a whole lot about Eastern philosophy and I would love to learn more about it. It's just that I've always been very into ancient Greece and Rome. So that's kind of where just my interests lied. So that's why I know so much about like these type, like these people. And I kind of want to get into Eastern philosophy because I also find that very interesting. And I want to know like how different is it from Western philosophy or were we kind of all just thinking the same thing just in different places? Because I do find it interesting. So if you look at like a lot of like the polytheistic um, religions, we all have very similar stories from one another and we all have similar like oh like there has to be a higher being so i find it very interesting that we thought a lot of the similar things but just in different ways and so i want to know if that is the same with philosophy i know basic eastern philosophy but i want to get more into it so in no particular order let's go across well not even across let's jump around the painting and see who is who i know I found a list of some of the people and some are like clearly able to be identified that I kind of knew of. So this is kind of like me just throwing names and faces at you. 
So the first one we're going to talk about is Pythagoras, and he's a Greek philosopher who is important in the development of mathematics, astronomy, and the theory of music. I love that so many people combine like sciences and arts. Like you find a lot of them that they're like mathematics and physics and metaphysics and music. <laughs> and I thought that's so funny because we think of them as such different things that don't overlap. And I kind of wonder what made them think about math and music theory putting together. But Pythagoras is the founder of, I'm sure you can guess, the Pythagorean theorem, which is a squared plus b squared equals c squared, which was my favorite equation in math because it's so easy and like foolproof. So that was named after him. And you can thank a lot of these people for your horrendous math grades and the suffering we all had to go through with that. Because next we're talking about Euclid, who is actually in the bottom left corner with a group of students surrounding him as he's teaching them. He has like a little chalkboard or something or like he's carving into something. And what I like about this painting is everyone is interacting with each other. And with this small cluster that Euclid is leaving, you can actually see each of the students in a different stage of understanding, some getting it, some looking to him for more advice and others like pondering it. So it's very interesting and you kind of see like that evolution of a teacher and his students, which I always think is a very pure form of a relationship, just the idea of wanting to learn from someone who is your superior. Kind of like a mentorship. Euclid is a Greek mathematician. He is considered the father of geometry, so you can blame him for your poor geometry grades. Then, hopping on over, we have a man named Bramante, who is actually an Italian architect and painter during the Renaissance, and he was based in Milan and Rome. He was actually the man that designed the St. Peter's Basilica, and his plan was the basis of the design executed by Michelangelo. And the basilica is best known for the dome that it has. And this is the one thing I kind of really like about this painting, is a mix of different thinkers and philosophers were fundamental in many things revolving in the western world especially from greece to the renaissance era and they're all debating and interacting and learning with one another in these paintings it's different time periods school of thoughts backgrounds and so many more that they in real life it would have been possible for them all to be in the same room together because some of them have so like hundreds and hundreds of years apart from one another but here they all are in this kind of painting i know it sounds weird but i always picture like is this like what heaven is? Like all of them are just like debating together and stuff like that, like in the afterlife. And another going off of that, like with everyone like interacting, my favorite is right below Athena in the background. There are two students learning and one is bouncing as he's writing and everyone's trying to read it. And I can just picture like that's like peak, like high school. Let me copy your answers real quick before class. Like I loved it. Like we have not changed <laughs> as students. Then let's move on to our man diogenes who is laying laying I'm, i need you to hear that laying on the steps like the king he is everyone else is standing debating working and my man diogenes is like nah i'm gonna sit myself down for those of you who don't know who diogenes who diogenes is i'm so sorry no one has told you about him yet and for those who know him you know why you love him and Right now, I'm going to ask everyone, who is your favorite philosopher? And before you answer, why is it Diogenes? Because he is going to be everyone's favorite philosopher after you hear about this man. So Diogenes the Sinope, or Diogenes the dog, is just <laughs> such an interesting person. He used to walk around holding a lantern to the faces of citizens in Athens, saying he was searching for an honest man. And then, like, walk away when, like, he couldn't find one. So he was just, like, 
run up, flash a light in someone's face, pretty much insult them, and then walk away. He <laughs> he rejected the concept of manners and said that you should be truthful at all times under no circumstances. This man did not have a filter and said it how it was. And my favorite is, well, actually, one of my favorites. You're going to hear me talk about a lot of favorite things with Diogenes. He's just, just every time I hear a new story about him or every time I just read about him, like, I just fall more and more in love with him. And one time during one of Plato's lectures, he said that a man was the featherless biped. And Diogenes plucked a chicken, brought to Plato's academy in the middle of a lecture, and you'll behold, I have brought you a man. That is king energy right there. I strive to have that level of pettiness with my professors when that happens. But I think my all-time favorite is when he met Alexander the Great. Alexander wanted to meet him because he had great respect for Diogenes. So let me say that again, because I repeat a lot with Diogenes. Alexander the Great personally sought out Diogenes, and when Alexander met him and asked if there was anything he could do to help the philosopher that was sold into slavery in Corinth, Diogenes replied with, stand out of my sunlight. He said that to Alexander the Great, who just like conquered so many things at like the rightful age of like 21 or something. Like this man was like so young, just like conquering people. He searched for Diogenes and so many people would like be so honored. And this man just like, you're blocking my son. I'm trying to get a tan. And <laughs> at this point when they met each other, Alexander the Great had just finished conquering the Persian Empire, who had pretty much like beat up most of Greece for so long and Alexander just like was like not I'm not doing this and pretty much beat up the Persian Empire he says that if he was not Alexander then he would wish to be Diogenes and Diogenes the king replied with saying that if he wasn't Diogenes he would still wish to be Diogenes this man said this to Alexander the Great and Alexander the Great like his nickname is the Great Idolize a man who threw away a bowl claiming it was superfluous baggage because he saw someone drinking from their hands. Who else could this happen to? Only Diogenes. And just when you look more into him, he's just so funny. And I like I like I wish he was still alive because I would want to meet this man. And like he just roasted like Alexander the Great their entire time. And this man just kept coming back to visit him. Like he loved Diogenes. So moving on to the man in the green in the back, that is Socrates. And you can tell because he has an ugly face. That's my Greek history. Teacher told me once her exact words were, Socrates was an ugly man. He looked like a gargoyle and that is permanently edged into my brain. Socrates is from Athens and he's Crete and he's credited to be the founder of Western philosophy. He was also sentenced to death and found guilty for corrupting the youth of Athens. And maybe we should probably do an episode about that. Like it was very interesting, like reading about his trial and everything and what led up to it and then the the tyrants and all that's like just what led up to his death was very interesting talking with him is someone who looks like they're a statement and i thought it was alexander the great when i first saw it and as you can tell i'm a very big alexander the great fan and i've heard someone once say that but no it is actually archibiades which makes sense because there are stories about socrates physically saving his life and he idolized socrates and archibiades is actually one of the reasons why socrates was found guilty because like look at this man you taught like you're definitely guilty of something. And Alcibiades is a Greek statesman, and wait till you hear about this guy. If you thought Diogenes was wild, like this man's even like worse. You can't make this up, and I'm taking this straight from Britannica because there's no easy way to describe this man's life, and I needed help. By 420 BC, he was a general, and he led the uh, Sicilian expedition in 415, and he fled to Sparta 
Though he aided the Spartan cause against Athens, he was eventually rejected from them because I think he was like flirting with like the king's wife or something. And he went to Persia, Persia of all places, for refuge. And he stayed there. Then the Athens fleet eventually got him back and he was promoted back to a general there. <laughs> he achieved hero status and then his enemies forced him to leave. And he warned Athens about the dangers of the battle of Agastopomy, and he fled again when the Spartans conspired to have him murdered, and he went back to Persia. He just, like, he started as an Athenian, went to Sparta, then to Persia, back to Athens, then back to Sparta, and then back to Athens, then back to Sparta, and caused the Athenians to lose the Peloponnesian War. This man pulled a Benedict Arnold like 15 times before it was a thing. So it makes sense that he is standing with Socrates. And I have to admit, I think if Alexander the Great was in it, I think he'd be on the steps next to Diogenes, just like begging for his attention to continue to roast him. I feel like that would happen. Like he'd be like next to Diogenes, like Diogenes, like notice me, notice me, notice me. And Diogenes would be like, yeah, my son. And he'd be like, I'm sorry. So I also do wonder the helmets with the feathers, do they wear those in battle? Because I can't see that also being very practical. But I guess many things were not practical. I mean, we had the red coats and all of that. Like many things in war were not practical. Then we have Heraclitus, who is a Greek pre-Socratic philosopher, and he is known for his cosmology, which is the account and theory of the origin of the universe, in which he believed that fire forms all the basic material principle in the universe. Then you have Ptolemy. I'm so sorry about so many of these names. Ptolemy. Ptolemy. Um, he is a mathematician, astronomer, geographer, and music theorist. See what I mean? Like, they're all, like, in the science and, like, math things. And I guess they thought this, there was an extra M in STEM, and that stands for music. He wrote a lot, and he led to a lot of the um, discoveries during the Byzant uh, Byzantine, Islamic, and Western European empires and their science discoveries. He formed the... Geocentric theory of the universe, which is the motion of the stars and the planet, and was highly controversial for this time because every religious um, church was like, no, and he got shunned for that. Then you have Zoroaster, who is on the far right side, and he's holding what looks like a blue orb. It's not a globe because the person standing in front of him is clearly holding a globe, so I don't know what this blue orb is, but it has like these white spots on it. I, I tried to research and find out what that was. I don't really know. And he is a prophet and the founder of Zoroastrianism, which is the world's oldest monotheistic religion and is unclear when he lived though. I was getting a lot of different dates and then at the bottom it was like, yeah, no one really knows. I was like, well, thanks. I read this whole article for nothing. I've heard about this in passing, but I've never like looked into this religion and I definitely want to because it sounds very interesting. I like learning a lot of new things and I definitely learned when writing this podcast that there's so many other books and like teachings and historical things that I need to look into and I think it's probably one of the reasons why I started this show was to learn more things and I've kind of been doing that a lot and it's great learning about uh, different things not only in um, literature but then learning about different religions and school of thoughts and I have this running notebook list now of all the things I need to look into. Their main belief and what I kept seeing over and over again so I am Assuming Sage just kept saying their main belief in their what they were kind of like believed by many people was that they were fire worshippers. So a lot of people, I guess, thought they were similar to like a pagan 
religion, but no, they actually do believe in a monotheistic God. And they actually believe that fire is a strong tie to life and it's God's light and wisdom. So many times when I was reading, they were like, oh, there were fire worshippers, but no. It's just fire represented a very important part of their religion, at least from what I've seen. And so I definitely want to look into it because it seemed like they were very misunderstood because many of the articles just kept saying over and over again, they're not fire worshippers. I was like, okay, but I never thought they were. Please don't yell at me, random article. And it is estimated that there's still about 110,000 to 120,000 people still practicing this religion in the world, primarily in India, Iran, and North America. So I definitely want to look into it because I've heard about it in passing during like my AP World History, but that covers like literally the history of the world. So it's very like hard to give go into like a lot of details for things, but I definitely want to look into that and i guess the main lesson is that they were not fire worshippers because literally it was like one of the articles had like boy, big big bold like red letters I'm like okay please random article i i didn't think that please stop yelling at me and then actually right next to him peeking out and staring at us is the painter himself uh that's Raphael, and he looks like he wants to go home <laughs> like you know like when you go to school event and you call your mom like mom I want to go home now. Like, he just looks like he does not want to be there. Scholars have been able to identify Zoroaster who's with him, but the other two, I couldn't find anything about him. So I'm wondering who those other two are or Raphael's relationship with Zoroasterism to make him put himself next to Zoroaster. I just find it very interesting that of all the people he could put himself next to or with, he put himself next to these two people that were unidentified and the leader of a religion. So I always thought that was very interesting and I think maybe shows um, maybe favoritism or what he was thinking or maybe it's just he just didn't want to be noticed and he's off to the side I don't know I've always just kind of wondered like why of all the people did he put himself in that little group and no one seemed to know why but I just love that he's like peeking out like it's only like his little head you see then moving on down we have Zeno who is the founder of the school of stoic philosophy which is we're actually going to talk about next episode I once actually had to take a class, and then we spoke about him, and I thought, yes, we're going about like Stoic philosophy and all this stuff. But instead, we talked about infinity and the concept of it is the most boring freaking class I ever took. I never read an essay about infinity. It'd be ten pages long. Who the hell writes an essay, ten pages about infinity? Now I need to discover something new about it, but it was like college writing one on one, and I needed to take it. It was the only class that was open because I just transferred. So I'm like, ah. Whatever, how could it, it can't possibly be that bad. I should have dropped it. <laughs> I should have done that, but I didn't. Then you have Epicurus, who is completely different and doesn't really belong to a school of philosophy. He believed that people attained a tranquil and happy life. And when they broke away and were free from fear and had the absence of pain, he taught that living a self-sufficient life surrounded by friends was the best way to pursue his philosophy. So pretty much he was like, hey, to be happy, you should be surrounded by peace and be free from fear and pain, which I mean, I think that's a pretty good way to strive for life. Then you have Boethus, who is recognized as one of the most important links between the ancient philosophy and the Latin Middle Ages. He translated Aristotle's works into Latin, wrote commentaries on them, as well as textbooks and other training manuals, not manuals, but like training kind of manuals to contribute to how to read uh, philosophy, the context of it, and how we can add to it. He was a Roman scholar, Christian philosopher, and statesman. Then we have uh, Parmenides, who is a pre-Socratic philosopher and is considered the founder of otology, also known as metaphysics, 
which deals with the nature of being. I wonder how they get into that stuff, because metaphysics, you think, is such like a science fiction kind of futuristic thing. This man was like, pre-BC was like, yeah. And we have one more to talk about, because the others aren't clearly marked. I haven't been able to find anything about them. I think they might just be like random students, or maybe we just haven't figured out who they are yet, or they're up to debate, and that wasn't in the articles I read. Because I read a lot of articles, watched a lot of videos trying to find out who it was. But could. But my ladies out there, there's one woman in the painting. And like Raphael, she's staring directly at the viewer. Only her and the painter himself do, which I always thought was another interesting touch. Because everything has a meaning when you look at like a painting like this. And the idea that the painter is staring at us as if acknowledging like, hey, this is a painting and I know you're there. But she's doing it too. And that is Hippotea of Alexandria and she was a student at the school of Athens and then she was a professor of philosophy, mathematics, and astronomy at the University of Alexandria in Egypt. She never married and she had a celibate life, was keeping in the ideas of Plato and who wanted to kind of abolish the family system and she was a student of Plato's or at least she went to Plato's academy in Athens also. So a lot of people said that she kind of followed his teachings. I think it is beautiful that she's included in this painting and that her legacy is cemented along with the great thinkers who are also in this painting because in a time of not only ancient Greece but in the time where this painting was made women were not seen as equal and they did not have all those rights and she's pretty much almost in the center of this painting looking directly at us. She could have been like hidden in the back or excluded at all but no like she's right in like your line of sight and she's looking right at you like hey no notice my boss my girl boss energy right here so i definitely think that's beautiful that she was included i've never heard of her before this so i'm also gonna be looking into her a lot so this was kind of just like a fun episode it was something new i wanted to try because the school of athens has so many great thinkers and influential people, especially for Western philosophy, when it comes to a lot of the things we read, references a lot of Western philosophy. And this season, we are going to read Plato's Republic, and we are also going to read uh, mythology, and we are going to talk about meditations and Stoic philosophy. And the last season, we spoke about Aristotle and a little bit about Plato. So I think it was kind of a good episode to kind of sum up some of like these major teachings, and. I'm sure you've heard about a lot of them, maybe even practice some of these teachings. So let me know if you do. And I think it was the painting is one of my favorites. I just thought it was a great way to like talk about all these people and not because I didn't have a whole lot to say about each of them individually, like some more than others. Like I could have went on for a very long time about Diogenes or Archibiades or Plato and Aristotle, but then others like we don't have a whole lot of information about them. So I definitely think jumping around this painting is a good way to talk about so many of them and i also just wanted to do it. i thought it was fun i thought it was different and kind of to shake things up because i kind of get bored when the routine stays the same and i found that we were reading a lot of books and i wanted to kind of do something different to kind of spice things up so let me know who's your favorite philosopher or thinker that we've or religious leader that we've talked about let me know if you've heard about any of them let me know why diogenes is your favorite philosopher because i know he is now and also, let me know if I have missed anyone, and if you are able to tell me who these other people are in the painting, I would love to hear that. And next episode, we're talking about Stoic Philosophy and Meditations by Marcus Aurelius, and then the following week, we're going to be talking about Peaky Blinders and how to respect your audience as a 
director, producer, and screenwriter. So another kind of uh, mixing things up. We haven't talked about screenplays in a while. Well, we haven't talked about like a, a whole production since season one with Midsummer, and we have not really talked about screenplays until episode two of this season where we talked about screenplays and stage plays scare. So Peaky Blinders is an excellent show. It is the type of screenwriting, directing that I always strive for when I write things and that's the kind of stuff I want to make. Beautiful cast, beautiful scenery. I mean, I, I praise that show so much and there's a reason why so many people praise it. And then to wrap up next week, we are going to talk about Ernest Hemingway's A Movable Feast and I just love that book. That is my favorite favorite Ernest Hemingway book. It's just so funny and I'm going to talk about some of my favorite scenes from that. And I'm going to make sure all of you read it because it's just such a great book and it's such an easy read and it's just so funny to see all these people like this because we always see them so like prim and proper and you know like they were getting drunk and like asking each other about their sex lives and it was just so funny. So thank you for stopping by and always thank you for the support. I have a lot of plans for this show. We're going to wrap up season two. I think we're about halfway done and then I actually just put a poll on my instagram about maybe starting a youtube i'm thinking about maybe making that more like writing centric and maybe vlogs and stuff like that because it's just something where honestly i had to down download final draft for school and if i'm paying 20 bucks a month for it i want to make it worth it and it's just i've recently been watching a lot of like these beautiful writing blogs i'm like wow like that's so nice or even like doing live streams about like we can like study tarot read books here just a different way to make and a different way to create because I only have so much time left before I get a job and everything and I want to be able to create as much as I can and I just really been inspired recently to make those vlogs and writing videos and everything like that and who knows maybe we'll move this show on to uh, YouTube but I don't know I don't really like being in front of camera so don't really expect my face to be in the vlogs a whole lot but yeah anyway thank you for always stopping by and supporting and as always this has been the notes from the library.